Good morning, everybody. Welcome into the Friday morning long form episode here on Mining Stock Daily. Trevor Hall, your host for another long installment coming off of my long trip to Vancouver for multiple conferences. And we still have a round of corporate updates from VRIC that we need to get to. So in the second segment of this episode, we're going to have a marathon of updates. You'll hear from Dolly Varden Silver. You'll hear from ATAC Resources, Ascot Resources, and also Meridian Mining. So four big updates at this second half of this episode. But in the first half, we talked to Axel Merck of Merck Investments to discuss the market reaction after the Fed announcement earlier this week. It caught me off guard. I think it caught a lot of people off guard. But Where do we go from here? What caused that reaction? So Axel just really breaks it down. And then we have a great discussion about gold in this, you know, one or two day uh, uh, haircut, I guess you could say it takes. Still a healthy gold price, but a few items that he's looking at long term in regards to gold and gold miners. So two segments. We'd like to thank Western Copper and Gold, Arizona Sonoran Copper, and fireweed metals for your continued support of the podcast and if you wouldn't mind do leave a review of the podcast on the network you use to listen to all of the updates and long-form episodes all right big episode let's jump into my conversation with axel because i'm sure a lot of people are interested in his thoughts and what transpired earlier this week all right everybody be well Back into Mining Stock Daily and our long-form episode here this Friday morning uh, to get you into the weekend. Uh, you know, I actually was a little bit of a surprise uh, getting this episode up. Uh, I had a bunch of interviews lined up from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference uh, from a few days past, and I still have a lot of corporate updates. We're going to get to those later in the episode, but there, uh, I, w- I was just downright floored with not only I, I wasn't necessarily surprised with the Fed announcement of another another 25 basis point rate hike uh, earlier this week, but what caught me by surprise, and I think a lot of other people, was really the market reaction. And uh, I, so obviously, I, we got to dig into this and get some ideas of why the market reacted the way it did. And uh, so we welcome in portfolio manager of Merck Insights there, uh, Mr. Axel Merck. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you back on the podcast. Hi there. Good, good, good to be with you. I, I've got a general question before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of the Fed in the market reaction, let me ask you, did the market reaction surprise you, Axel, as much as it surprised me and a lot of other people? I think nothing should surprise you going into a Fed meeting. I mean, what surprised me that we had this press conference to begin with, there was really nothing for Powell to gain, lots to lose. And sure enough, he stepped in some of the traps that the journalists put out for him. And and by the way, that was on Wednesday. On Thursday, um, the ECB had a press conference. The same thing happened. Right. There, there was really no quote-unquote news. And uh, the only thing is you could jerk the market around a little bit, and sure enough, that happened. Now, keep in mind, the market reaction is often very much related to the positioning going into these meetings, much more so than what actually was said at those meetings. 
All right, so let's talk about the positioning. Some ideas come to mind. Obviously, a lot of people were caught very short, and I feel like there was a lot of liquidity on the sidelines that came barreling in yesterday, or you know, even into later in the week. Uh, your thoughts on you know this you know large short position that was caught yeah. off. Well, by. we, I mean, we, we're a mining show here, but uh, if you just take a step <laughs> back and. Uh, Barclays has an index called the Barclays Short Interest Short Basket Total Return Index. That's a mouthful, but basically that's an index of the most heavily shorted stocks out there. And uh, Wednesday through Thursday is just about a two sigma event on the way up. Um, and translated to plain English is that we've had massive short covering happening. Um, and so it's, I, and I don't know what people were positioned for, but Presumably, part of the positioning was, well, maybe, maybe we get this very hawkish surprise that's coming out of this. And it didn't happen. And then so people were off to the races. And so and when, when these sort of things happen around the Fed meeting, there's a lot of noise. And I, I wouldn't read too much into that, because if you just take a step back of what has changed this week, and I don't think much has changed. I mean, Sure, some of the tech companies had earnings uh, that, that were decent. But other than that, um, we knew what the Fed is going to do. I think we know what the Fed is going to do. Uh, they control the bazooka. And, and so all the chatter that comes around it is, is really a, a major, major distraction. Well, the the bazooka against inflation is is still there for the Fed. I mean, they want to bring this thing down. They keep harking about that two percent uh, target. Uh, you know, they've been doing that for months and months now. I really felt like Powell's job was to, you know, yesterday was to push back on this market idea that it was, you know, fin- the financial conditions were going to get easier. Now. Obviously, if that was his job, he failed at it yesterday. I because... was about to interrupt you to sell you one. <laughs> well, because the, the market just didn't believe him. What Just didn't no. believe him at all. No, and, and the problem is that the Fed doesn't have a strategy. Higher for longer is not a strategy. Or as Lagarde said it, we're not going to give you forward guidance, but we'll raise 50 basis points next month again. Uh, the... Basically, what the Fed is going to, and the Fed has said, and they do, of course, have the choices, right? If financial conditions ease, we'll just tighten a little bit more. But it's not credible, right? Um, Larry Summers has said, in order to get credibility back at the Fed, you need a new framework. Another way of phrasing that is, Mr. Powell, maybe step aside, and Larry would like to take that job himself. He's not going to get that job. <laughs> uh, but but higher for longer is is an aspiration, not a strategy. And so... What happens once you have high inflation, obviously at some point, the year-over-year comparisons are going to look better. And that's exactly the phase that we're in. But there is no assurance that inflation is going to stay low. Almost certainly, just based on pure statistics, some of the inflation readings in the coming months will be higher than, than, than expected. And then what's the reaction to that, right? So the only thing we know now is the Fed is going to move higher. Um, Almost certainly, they're going to hike another 25 basis points, and then they're going to pause in May. And the reason we know that, by the way, is because of the calendar, because the Fed's mandate is based on the core PCE. That reading is not available at the time of the March Fed meeting, which means they will not be able to say they've had a full quarter of inflation that's in order. And then the next meeting after that, after March 22nd, is May 3rd, and that means in May they'll pause. And so that's exactly what the market is pricing in here. But it doesn't tell you anything of what's going to happen. Um, Mr. Macklem in Canada, he said, 
Well, we've done enough hiking for now because monetary policy acts with a long and variable lag. And guess what? Those are exactly the words Mr. Powell is going to use in early May because obviously at some point you've got to wait and see what the market does. And so what the, what the Fed is interested in is that short-term rates are above the short-term inflation rate. And uh, that doesn't mean inflation will be back at 2%, but that means there's a slightly tight environment. And that's exactly what they're going to be at, like hopefully anyway, um, in their view. And then they're going to stick around there and be, quote, unquote, patient. But what that also means is that they will be very, very reluctant to cut rates. And one of the reasons they're so reluctant to cut rates is because, again, they don't have a framework. But right? if they had a reaction function, if they had a rule-based system, um, they actually, based on the Taylor rule, they should be cutting rates right now. They should be cutting rates from much, much higher levels. And what the market is pricing in is um, that the Fed will induce a recession and at some point they'll have to cut. The market might be too early in pricing and when to cut, but they're not wrong on the thing that at some point they have to ease again. Um, and, and so they'll muddle through this. And if they're lucky, inflation is going to be okay. The more likely scenario is that inflation is going to be volatile, which means rates are going to be higher for an extended period. And since this is a program discussing gold, what the gold prices is thinking about, in my view at least, is it's more... It, uh, any asset is based on on the forward looking things and gold obviously is a brick doesn't pay interest and so it competes with real interest rates and so real interest rates not on a short-term basis but on a forward-looking basis and so real rates six seven eight ten years out you name it when they change the price of gold is likely to move and so is the fed going to be more hawkish than they are right now I don't think so. And gold has been doing well ever since what I call the Fed pivot. And to me, the Fed pivot has been when they changed from 75 basis points increase down to 50 to 25. So when, sorry, they were only at 50. When they changed from 50 to 25. So when they changed from 50 to 25, that was the end of the dollar rally. We've changed into a secular bear market for the dollar and, and gold has been doing well. Um, we're talking here on a, on a Thursday where, where gold is, is on the, the water and that's part of the the, the short uh, covering in, in in risk assets all right let's table the conversation in gold and precious metals here for just a little bit because i do have some follow-up question questions and i think when you mentioned we've reached a phase of i think you said s s slight tight <laughs> financial i thought that's a pretty good we're we're, we're we're slightly tight and that's probably the best that the federal reserve and the rest of the central banks can ask for right now but my follow-up question to that axel is really what does this do for that soft landing narrative is this the soft landing that they wanted or and, you know or can is that soft landing narrative extended or are we just kind of watching out here for a hard crash i think it keeps journalists employed to to ponder that um I'll give you two, a few different answers on that. Um, first, the, the one thing, of course, any central bank is most concerned about is the wheels off scenario, some systemic event happening. Right now, it looks like more a post-2000 environment where risk assets are unwinding and we don't have a big catastrophe happen. The other thing that's kind of unique regarding recessions in the U.S. is that we actually have bureaucrats decide on whether we have a recession rather than just looking at two negative GDP prints. And they look at specific components and partially because of the pandemic, those components are all a bit out of whack. And so it's quite possible that this time around, that the way these, these different indicators that the bureaucrats look at are happening in sequence rather than, than, than concurrently, which means we might get a quote unquote soft landing based on 
quote unquote, the data, that doesn't mean it won't feel bad if you're the one losing the job here in the process. Um, and so it will hit different sectors, different areas of the economy differently. And so formally, we might not be there. Now, that said, to me, the baseline scenario is still that if the Federal Reserve keeps rates higher for longer, it will be a more severe recession. So I do think we'll get a, quote unquote, proper recession. Um, to a gold investor, it's quite relevant because in a deeper recession, gold tends to do better um, and gold tends to react earlier. Now, in this case, gold has already started to react. Um, and so maybe the cycle is different. But if you have a very shallow recession, risk assets tend to take off and gold kind of drags along. But um, somebody pointed out the other day that um, when it comes to from the bottom of the bear market, it's only the last time gold took the lead was in the early 70s. Now, the only question I had when that, that study came out is, well, have we seen the bottom of the bear market? Because we, of course, don't know that yet. Um, so if we have a more severe recession, then um, what we've seen in recent days was indeed a, a shortcoming rally and new lows may be ahead. So I, I, I realize I don't answer your question. That's partly because I don't have a crystal ball. Um, to me, it's about assessing the risks. And uh, the risk is certainly there that we get a more severe recession. Yeah, I, 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 I certainly tend to agree with you. I think the the data on the cover of the labor reports this week were obviously very interesting. I mean, for every one person who's unemployed, it seems like there's almost two jobs available to them. However, we are getting other news, you know, at least on the West Coast and Silicon Valley, that, you know, a lot of those tech companies are laying off workers. Uh, that's typically to sustain their capital structure, I believe, uh, but they because they have to. And But, you know, I mean, so you do kind of have these conflicting reports on the labor side. And so we'd just yeah. love to kind of get your thoughts here, what you're seeing and how to, a layman terms, how somebody makes sense of this. Well, first of all, it's always company specific until it is not, right? And there's always, and the tech sector is early. Remember, these big tech companies are really marketing companies and marketing business is cyclical. Uh, and nobody took that seriously because historically the internet just grew and grew and grew. And this is the first time that in a downturn, those companies actually have to do some belt tightening. Uh, the good news is there's a lot of fat that they can cut and, and they can actually get into, into better shape. But um, the thinking at one of the, because of the lack of a coherent framework, they have to go by bits and pieces at the Fed. And Powell's mindset is he doesn't want to be the modern Arthur Burns. Arthur Burns was the Fed chair in the early 70s that's responsible for stagflation. And, uh, and so he says and sees, well, if you have two job openings for each job seeker, that is inflationary. There are some doves that push against that notion that that's not proven. And keep in mind, the Fed now has several more doves have come in at Fed presidents that are voting. Um, some of the, the hawks are not voting anymore. So who knows whether that notion is going to take over. But but clearly, yes, if you have um, lots of job openings, that is that is inflationary. And it's part of the reasons why people haven't had as many layoffs. Big companies are reluctant to lay off people because they're worried they might not be able to hire them again. And so, again, it is part of the reason why we may well see exactly what the Fed says. We may see higher for longer. We have to see the excesses of this this very long bull market be worn down. And that needs to happen in the labor market. That needs to happen with speculators. Um, you can also look anecdotally of who the wealthiest people in the world are and how that is shifting. I think the wealthiest person right now um, is the head of a, of a luxury 
company. Well, that means, and one of the things you've seen in headlines is that the CEOs are getting their pay cut, right? So do you need to see those sort of things change before we see a bottom in the market, before we see an upturn? In the meantime, as a gold investor, right, it's forward looking and says, hey, the Fed can't be as hawkish um, as it is right now for an extended period. And so people are jumping on, on that ship. Um, it can obviously go in many in many ways, but I would think that we will see more hard times for, for the general economy. Are you seeing any data, headlines, information after the first month of 2023 uh, regarding uh, variable interest, leveraged loans? Uh, you know, that was a big concern in the new year. I haven't had even the time to kind of dig into this, but I'm just curious if you've seen anything about companies who are unable to pay off that interest. Well, first of all, this is probably the most forecast recession ever, which means <laughs> anybody who could take precautions is taking precautions. In the meantime, yes, we've seen some high-profile bankruptcies, and we'll see more of them. I think the, the question is, will any of that rise to systemic risk? And... If you asked me last summer, I would have said the risk is high. But of course, we, we had the blow up in the gilts in the UK. We had the Federal Reserve extend uh, loans, uh, the swap lines to Switzerland. None of that had a significant spillover. And so you never know where the unknown unknown is. But the, And that's, that's, by the way, part of the reason why the market is always pricing in and easing after the peak in the cycle. Because just statistically speaking, those odds increase the further out you go. Um, but at the same time, the odds of this being a more quote unquote normal downturn, if such a word exists in the current environment, <laughs> are actually increasing that they'll just have um, little tight policy and they'll see things go. We'll see the occasional bankruptcy. Um, we'll see the lackluster growth. Um, but companies adjust and uh, will live happily ever after and worry about the next problem tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, let's do talk about precious metals. We, it's been a, a few months since you've had since the last time you were on the podcast, Axel, and so we've had a lot different of a market uh, since then. Uh, in fact, uh, earlier a few months ago, we saw silver really start to outperform precious metal sector, and gold's certainly followed suit. And I don't want to let, let's let's wait to talk about you know this week's move in gold because I. You know, I, I think that's a little bit more technical uh, speaking on the chart because things got really overbought. But I do want to ask you. It's always technical about when it goes down and fundamental when it goes up. I, I like, I like, that. I like that. I like fair that. Enough, <laughs> I'll let you. I'll let you have that one. You can use that whenever you'd like. Uh, but I do want to ask you, really, you know, what spurred this this increased momentum behind the precious metals sector? Because uh, I mean, obviously, we saw pretty close to a double bottom, but after that, I mean. It was guns ablazing. Like everybody was piling into the precious metal, the physical precious metal. Well, I look at it in a coherent and in a framework of a secular dollar bear market that started as the Federal Reserve was switching over from 50 basis point hikes to 25 basis point hikes. Those cycles tend to last many, many years. And uh, as you recall, last year we had the dollar index go to the stratosphere. And uh, unless we have one of these wheels off events, I don't think we'll see that height for many, many years to come. Um, and and it's we are shifting more towards reflation. China is opening up again. Clearly, um, the Europeans are raising rates, still very negative real rates and on a short term basis anyway. Um, but we have the rest of the world 
trying to grow again. Um, and so as hawkish as the, that's one of the reasons why the market doesn't take the Fed seriously, right? The market has moved beyond and we may still see a recession, but the Fed is not going to be much tighter. Um, and so, and the economy is slowing in the, in, 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 in the US. And so that is part of the reason I think why, why the mindset has been shifting, the dollar is weakening and in the context, price of gold is rising. Um, as, as you're aware, we, we manage a good billion in, in gold and gold mining and in our physical gold product, we've had a steady inflow of investors. Um, and that is presumably because people agree with that sort of story, right? They agree with the story that the Fed might be near the end of the tightening cycle. Um, they agree with the story that if the economy really slows down, the price of gold um, might outperform risk assets um, and that the risk assets are seriously weighted towards towards uh, securities that might still be overvalued. I'm not giving investment advice here. I'm just trying to interpret here what's what's in the on the market, what's what's happening here. Uh, the other thing that's changed is that last year, quote unquote, nothing worked. Um, everything went down the drain, so to speak. Precious metals, at least the physical metal, did better than than many other things. But diversification might work again this year. And in that sense, gold historically is is employed as a diversifier because it's of its near zero correlation in the long run. In the short term, it can be correlated. And last year, it didn't serve that diversification function as much. And so that's another group of investors that's that's coming back. And then the third group might well be the speculator. Um, uh, the meme stocks aren't as popular anymore. The, the crypto stuff isn't as popular anymore. And so the meme investor, the, 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 the trend chaser, will have to find a new home. And uh, if the price of gold were to take off, those guys might be piling back into that space as well. No, they're welcome into my junior mining equities anytime they'd like. Send <laughs> that for another. Uh, I'm just curious: what did China, China's reopening, have any influence on this precious metals move? We talked. Obviously, they did in the commodity space. We talked about that previously on this podcast. But I'm, you know, what kind of what kind of influence did it have on the precious metals move? Well, you, you pick your evil, right? I mean, uh, we always need to fit the story to the price move, <laughs> and, and and so. Yeah. I, I do think it does have an influence. Um, and it's in the, in the broader context that I outlined of a reflationary world. And, and I un understand that, of course, some central banks continue to tighten, but the, the Canadians are done with tightening. The Norwegians are done with tightening quite likely as well. Um, and, and so in, in China, we see a reflationary effort and, and that's good for commodities. So I do think those do have a, a marginal influence. Okay, so let's let me ask you about this week's move. I mean, the reaction after the Federal Reserve in gold. I mean, it's it's a hard correction, but obviously technically was getting pretty dang overbought for quite a while. And gold historically can stay in that overbought area uh, before coming down. In fact, it typically likes to make a little bit move higher. Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I gotta assume that you find this to be a healthy correction uh, coming back down to a little bit of earth in a consolidation area. So if maybe technically looking at, at gold axle, any sort of reasons to, uh, you know, be concerned or, or what you're thinking about this, uh, this one day move, this one day haircut. Well, it's, it's noise, right? I mean, and you talk about hot co corrections. I think both of us have been around long enough that we've seen far more severe moves in, in the price of gold. And if anything, Absolutely. in recent years, um, we haven't seen quite as, as severe moves. And I think part of that is because the speculator isn't quite as active in gold. Um, and that has kept things at bay. 
Now that said, you've just mentioned technicals, right? Because gold is so simple, um, doesn't have so many fundamental attributes, it does tend to attract more technical traders. And, and that can, of course, be then a self-fulfilling prophecy and, and move the price of gold in different directions. By the way, just to back off a second, one, one group of buyers that has stepped up that we haven't talked about is, is central banks. Central bank buying has, has picked up in recent months. Um, but again, right, the short-term move this week, I, I don't know. I mean, yes, as you point out, it was due for correction. I, I let more brilliant technical anal analysts give you all the, all the fancy words as to where the support is and, and whatnot. Well, how about your outlook for 2023? What are you, what are you going to be paying close attention to as we move more into get out of this winter into the spring when it well, comes the, to the precious What I'm sector? mostly interested in, and that's more related to the gold mining sector, is, is, is financial conditions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because ultimately, when you, when you especially invest in junior mining companies, they have a notorious need for capital, which means they are very much dependent on financing conditions. Now, financing conditions for the gold mining sector is a tad different than other industries, because obviously the price of gold can be doing well, even if if, if credit spreads in other sectors are blowing out. Um, but yeah, financing conditions are very crucial um, to see how much funding there is for the junior gold mining sector. And so that's of great interest. Other than that, um, I think I, I happen to believe that our investors are, are smart. They are retail to a significant extent, um, but um, that if they embrace gold at this stage, that they call the Fed's bluff and uh, the, the, the Fed will be, they want to have marginally tight financial conditions. Um, and by the way, just to go back a little bit uh, further, Paul Volcker, when he was the hero in beating inflation, he did not get inflation down to 2%. That was several years later by Greenspan. Um, central banks will never admit it, but they're perfectly happy having inflation be kind of in the 4 3% range if it is somewhat trending down there towards 2% again. And that's also why the Fed is going to be happy with having slightly positive short-term real interest rates. Um, and... All of that suggests they're not going to be extremely hawkish. And all of that means that the way to get um, the to get a very severe downturn is only if the Fed overdoes it. And of course, the Fed will overdo it with its higher for longer policy. But the end game of that is they have to cut rates again. Right. And, and, and so the, the in that sense, kind of the, the worst period for for gold and gold miners is probably behind us. And I, I say probably here because my compliance will otherwise chop my heads off. I, I'm not allowed to give a specific forecast. <laughs> okay. Well, let, let, let's well then let's talk in general terms here. If you just if you're looking at gold miner margins, is it safe to think that revenues should look to be better given what the price of gold did in Q4? And maybe even a little bit, and dare I say, I know we're we're not even halfway through Q1 of 2023, but those Q1 financials that usually be published early in the spring, if if gold can stay here at 1920 to 1950, that looks really good. And some of them are paying dividends. I mean, I would think that if you are dabbling in that value investor type mentality, you're going to make a hard take a hard look at the gold miners. Well, I mean, the dynamics are, of course, very different at the large producers versus the small explorers. 
Um, obviously, the top line for the producer looks better when the price of gold is higher. On the cost side of things, um, just as the Federal Reserve has seen some relief on a year-over-year basis, there is relief on commodities. Energy prices are, uh, are, are not as bad anymore. <clears throat> Labor wage pressures aren't as bad anymore. And so they, they learn how to manage that, and that should look good. The problem that large producers have is that they haven't they have underinvested. Um, and so they, and that means their cash flow is good, but it also means they have less leverage for the price of gold and, and the gold bug investor is less interested in those. Um, and so the quote unquote hope is that they'll acquire some mid-tier players and whatnot. If that continues not to happen, we may see more mergers in, in the mid-tier or see some others. Um, overall, the environment is, is, is in my view going to be more favorable, but the industry really has to figure out on how they're going to be putting together some some mining companies of the future, so to speak, because the the big ones just can't ride the cash flow forever. Yeah, well, we we've seen a lot of that activity in the industrial metal <clears throat> side of things. Those big producers have done a tremendous amount of job investing and looking into acquiring at least getting you know, a small footprint into smaller companies throughout the globe. But we haven't. You're right. We haven't necessarily seen. I, an, an equal amount of uh, transactions from the major gold producers. So obviously we'll see how M&A, every, every year I feel like and, I say M&A is going to heat up. Well, this well year if, we, if we see a frenzy, <laughs> that, that might be a sign of a top, right? Uh, so that's, right. The flip, that's the flip side of that. Um, but we, we, we will need to see that at some point. They, can, they could do a few more years, but then they have to watch out because then some others will, will merge and uh, – and become a competitor and the, the big guys want to remain the biggest that's right okay axel thanks so much for your time good to connect and thank you for your insights not only uh, market reaction federal reserve ideas but also kind of get an idea of uh, you know outlook for gold and gold producers we'll touch base with you here again uh, later uh, this spring but have yourself a great weekend and and be well all right thanks Sam. take care Uh, it's always a great day when you get a run into Gilbert Clark Meridian Mining in person because we don't do this very often here, Gilbo. Uh, he is the chairman of Meridian Mining. They continue to trade on the TSX with MNO, uh, Gilbert General Corporate Update uh, from Meridian. However, before we get into that, uh, you know, you're not obviously not a local here in Vancouver, but give me a general sense of, you know, the mood, sentiment, what you're seeing on the floor here in these conferences. Uh, Trev, hey, once again, thanks for having me on. Uh, look, across the conference, I think there's a, a lot of interest in, a lot of people interested in gold. I think that's, that's very apparent, you know, there's a surge in the price. Um, but precious base metals, that's obviously, we can see it in the floor. Um, what, I, what I'm seeing, just in the industry, is that, you know, a lot of attention on gold, but the money's in copper. So... For us, we're in a perfectly situated position with Meridian, with Cabasel. We've got a, a very strong gold and copper project. We're advancing it. Uh, we're very advanced in our PEA, and we think well, they'll be coming out in, in the short term, or the long term, sort of end of Q1, Q2. Um, and we think that results that we're going to bring from that, as I've said to my investors and stakeholders and supporters for the last 18 months, 
I think they're going to be really positive and something that, yes, this is actually going to be the next producing gold, uh, copper gold region in Brazil. Very, very positive of what we're seeing. Well, we'll, we'll see, you know, I think a, a improved sentiment that would reflect in Meridian would be if this PEA comes out, it is positive economics as a snapshot of what a project like Capsol could be at some point. You know, it wasn't too long ago, Gilbert, where if a company published a PEA, it was a liquidity event, and people were able to sell shares and get out of their position. That basically summed up 2022. Are you confident this year will be a different story? Yeah, look, last year was, you know, we, I think we had six federal Fed rate increases. We had, what, a dollar, come, a dollar a pound come off copper. We had 400, nearly 400 come off gold per ounce. And these are headwinds, you know, two in, Q2, Q3 were just disasters for the industry. Um, Q4, we saw some rebound, but we had those warrants overhanging us. We had that big block of shares from Sentient because we saw them liquid out of two other public companies. So that was known there was potential liquidity. We did a very strong raising. We saw all the warrants converted, cleaned up the capital table, and in the second week of January, there was... 5.9 million shares crossed out of the sentient funds. They're completely gone now. They went into long-only hands. We had another 2 million shares crossed into another fund. So we took out 4% of potential willing selling liquidity out of the market. So as we're seeing now, that willing selling liquidity is drying up, guys. So it's really important for my shareholders when they see the, the, the um, consolidation that's currently going on. We've done 17 million shares this month. Amazing. Eight million of those we went into long-only hands. So that's important. And then you look at the liquidity event. It's not only this is a buying event for our shares to increase their position leading up to that PEA. Um, we're not doing one of these PEAs that's sort of speculative. This is a very robust document. We've got a managed, massive team working with Asenko. And we saw this week um, Martin McFarlane was made president of the company. Marty has actually been with the company since, I think, May. It's almost like a six-month induction to, before he came on to the executive. And he's been overseeing the, the corporate interaction between the, the team in Brazil, left, led by Victor Bello, our Brazilian mining guy, and Asenko. So this is not just a average, as always with Meridian, we're not a fly-by-night company. We do things in depth and in detail. And I think the, the results of the PEA, I think they're really going to surprise the market. Uh, if, if the results surprise the market, is there an opportunity for Meridian to go back to the market and start raising some more cash to get you through another busy 2023? I know it wasn't too long ago where you did do a raise, uh, but you know, you and I both know that you know $5 million only gets you so far. You, you would rather raise a hefty chunk of money to really get this to maybe even to the next step, technical report, PFS, or maybe something even further than that. Look, we're, we're working with a lot of banks. In, in promoting the company. We're working with a lot of retail newsletter writers to actually, so the people can understand the opportunity. And all my shareholders know that when we do capital raisings, we see it as the, ben- how's it gonna benefit our existing shareholders and the incoming shareholders? Because you raise 20, 30 million dollars without any problem, but that paper will get chucked out the following day and you lose control of your capital table. You know, who's got what? You've got to track this. So when we bring in new money, they want to know who the existing shareholders are, how they behave. In the last raising, we brought in two new, two new natural resource funds. 
that's amazing. Actually, one of them then doubled their position via the Sentient Cross. So we're seeing this growth of quite significant natural resource funds coming into Meridian. I think maybe we've got somewhere between 12 to 15 institutions on our book now. That was one of the figures given to me by one of our bankers. Smart money's coming back. Yeah, the long only money. And this is an opportunity because that's for our retail guys. So you look at some of the comparable copper gold projects out there, some of the other valuations, they're trading sort of three fifty four dollars Are you going to get five or six times your money returned multiple on that share price? No chance in hell. With Meridian sitting around 40%, 40 cents, the opportunity for you know, eight, ten times your money in this stock is really looking at you in the face in 2023. And this is what I'm working really hard with all the team, with agents in the field now, Marty joining us, James came up as VP of uh, Corporate Development. We're really focused on growing that equity back up to appropriate valuation. Well, I'm happy to hear that as a shareholder. Uh, just curious, what happens here with Meridian newsflow-wise in the next few weeks? We will await that PEA. I'd assume you are trying to get that out to uh, come PDAC conference in March. Uh, we'll see the timing of it. But, you know, this may be the last time you and I chat. Uh, for for a month, but you know, if not, what are we going to maybe be expecting here in the coming weeks? Uh, look, we can we're going to have some more assay results coming through. Okay, okay. Um, there'll be there'll be a little bit of lag after that with the assay results because we, we shut down over Christmas. That always happens. Uh, we hope to have an update probably late February on Espagon. Just give everyone to understand what's been bubbling along in the background there. Um, and we we never sit down. I mean, we hit the ground running first week of January. And our shareholders and our stakeholders can expect that we're going to have news flow. Some of it will be quite surprising. Some of it will be bread and butter like with assays, but no, we're on to it. And this is throughout the year. What we actually did uh, a couple of weeks ago, we saw the Alamo project come into, the, into play. And I've said since the start, you know, Cabasal was like a 1.3, 1.5 kilometer copper anomaly as its discovery. Now the Alamo target is four kilometers of conductors and we're working on top of finding copper golds, as we said in the press release. So today, Cabasal is a standalone mine in the future that'll be used to develop the belt itself. But is it the biggest deposit in the belt today? Don't know. I think we've got a lot of exploration discovery to come forward, come through this project in the next couple of years. Exciting times at Meridian Mining. Uh, uh, safe travels to you. I know it's a long haul for you, but we'll be sure to catch up. You know, if, if, the, if more assay results come out in the next coming weeks, you and I will be touching base. Uh, you know, if not, definitely in, uh, come March around PDAC. So good to see you in person, my friend. Thanks, Trevor. Always, as always, great to chat with you, buddy. Uh, welcome back to the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. Happy to be joined in by Derek White of Ascot Resources. They trade on the TSX with AOT. Uh, Derek, a few news items you and I need to uh, briefly cover, but let's get to the gist of it. You closed the $200 million financing uh, for the construction and getting Premier up and going. That's got to be just a m massive relief off your back. Yeah, thanks, Trevor. Yeah, we're really, really happy that we're able to you know get the project back on track um, it's the construction's already started we're targeting production at the end of this year and you know it was a pretty tough market last year and we were a little nervous about refinancing the debt guys and the combination of the Sprott royalty deal which consolidated the Red Mountain royalty uh, together with the premium royalties and bringing in uh, Corey Apu the Arias family from Peru as a 
strategic investor for 19.9%. Um, you know, these guys uh, run one of the largest gold mines, highest grade gold mines in the world. They've had a lot of mining experience, so it's really helpful to us. So, you know, 100%. We're really, really uh, excited about the fact that we got it done, and uh, 23 looks uh, pretty promising for us. Uh, you know, thinking back to this, obviously, it, it feels we're in good shape here with Premier, you know, but thinking back to this, I mean, there was a it was a huge challenge and you had, you know, pundits like me coming back to you like, you know, what's the status, what's the update, you know, when are you going to get this thing done? But looking, you know, tell us about how challenging it was not only to go out and, and refinance this package, but do so in just a market that just was unfavorable. I think you maybe learned a few things maybe about yourself and this business. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two parts to that. So. Um on the on the actual commercial uh, side of, of finding investors and bankers, you know, as the world kind of started to disintegrate from a capital markets perspective, a lot of people were seeing gold specifically dropping. Banks were starting to use forecasts where they were previously using 16, 1700. Now they're using 14, 1300, and they're way more conservative. And everybody sees inflation, so they just say, "Whatever you tell me, it's going to cost more." And so you're facing trying to find, you know, bank financing or a combination of bank and equity financing in, in that in that environment. And it's really, really tough. You have to, you know, try and sharpen your pencil. And what ASCOT was able to do is refocus its mine plan to push more uh, production in the earlier years to give ourselves a little more legroom. I think the other thing was that, you know, you need uh, players like the Koreapu group who, who are familiar with these kind of mines and, and are looking at things on a much longer term basis, not just what was going on in the immediate term. And that combination um, you know, of, of Sprott Royalties and Coriapa was able to get us there. But we had our struggles and I would say the second part of it is it's very discouraging when you're building a mine and you have to tell contractors to demobilize. It's hard enough to get them post-COVID and then when they're leaving, you know, that just sends a signal to a lot of people this is not going to happen and et cetera. And you've got to maintain the momentum of that because it's hard to get people to build these things nowadays. And Ascot was able to, you know, keep the momentum going on the underground development. We ordered all the key stuff for our mill. And so that had a glimmer of hope, um, you know, but everyone kept saying, well, when's the financing going to be completed? When's, and we really knew that it was going to be the end of October or end of November. And so when we were able to make the announcement in December, I think there's a big, a big sigh of relief uh, from, from everybody uh, on Ascot and all the people in Stewart, you know, happened. I mean, you and I chatted all year last year, and I got to admit, your confidence never seemed to wane. <laughs> but uh, is, that, is that easier said? Easier said? I mean, was there, I, mean, I guess, you know. Well, fundamentally, there... look, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we have a good project. And we have the advantage of having existing infrastructure at a time when infrastructure is extremely expensive to build. And I have no doubt that our deposits and some of the other deposits that are around us hold high-grade gold. And if you can move that to an infrastructure at a less capital, at a smaller bite side of capital, I think I was confident that this was going to happen. And you know, I'm very thankful to our supportive shareholders um, and to the new financiers. But, you know, I don't think you can lose hope in these things. You know, you've got to get out there and do what you got to do and, and try and make it work. Um, and it's not just me, it's the whole team at Ascot and all the other people that were helping us that made that happen. You individually, this seems like the period of the mine life where you really thrive. Is this like your happiest time to start building? Uh, yeah, you know, I think my happiest time is when we're producing gold and we're, and we're making money for our investors. But, 
Um, you know, it's a tough time. You know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And I've, I've been fortunate in my life to be involved in building mines before. Um, and so you, you kind of lean on that experience to try and get yourself through. But, you know, I, I really want to see this come into production and, and, and make money for the investors. And I would have been happier if we'd been able to build it by the end of 22. But that wasn't the case. And you've got to face the circumstances you've got to face. Um, and so I'm pretty confident that we're going to get there as it starts up in early 24. So the idea is to become a gold producer maybe early 2024. What are the next set of challenges that you and your team are going to have to get over here in the coming in the coming months? Well, you know, right now we've um, mobilized contractors to go back in the mill and carry on inst installation and piping and systems and controls. The next big hurdle for us is really going to be at the end of April uh, in dealing with the um, tailings dam and water treatment plant. And weather you never can predict. This year they're not getting a lot of snow, which is good for us, but we've got to contain that water and make sure that we're on side from the regulator perspective. And we've got to do a construction on that between the end of April and the end of October, and we have to fit it in that window. Um, I would say the other challenge for us is, or an opportunity that we would like to get in, is, is working on the underground development at the um, Premier Northern Lights area. And if we can get those two things done by the middle to late fall, I think we're over the struggle. Uh, well, if that's not enough, you, you, your exploration continues and you are putting out more results. In fact, this week you put out news uh, from the day zone, the highest grades ever encountered there, almost 200 grams per ton. I mean, that's a that's yeah, pretty it, looking it, rock. It's pretty it's pretty exciting for us. You know, we did really well in the Sabakwe zone. The drilling that we did at, uh, at the day zone happened later and we just got those results and we were able to put them out. That day zone, you know, it's, it goes to the north and to the south. We haven't still discovered it all. It's, it's forming into our mining clans. And yeah, we continue to hit high grade in these areas. So that's really exciting for us. It just means adding, you know, kind of icing to the cake uh, as it would be. Do you, have, you go and update a resource this year as you continue with construction? We'll see how that goes. We're thinking about it. Um, it depends a little bit on just how much things we have to get done, but it's certainly something we would like to get out eventually, even if it can't happen this year or early next year. Okay, very good. What else should I be asking you that you want your investors and other people watching ASCOT to, to know? I mean, it's going to be a very important year for you and the team. Well, you know, they say in mining, uh, timing is part of it. And, you know, I, I would say that when you look around, this is probably the next gold mine that's going to be, you know, coming into production in British Columbia. And I think it's at a time when we've seen rising metal prices. I think we're over the big hump of inflation. We've taken a lot of beatings in the last uh, year and a half. Um, so I think for investors, you know, it's one to watch. It's, uh, it's certainly the opportunity is here to take advantage of higher metal prices. We seem to be getting uh, success in the expiration. So, I mean, just watch this space over the year and hopefully I'll be talking to you next year at this time uh, after we poured some gold. How does 1950 gold look in the economics for Premier? It, it looks great. I don't think we ever <laughs> believed that that would be the case. But, you know, we have a relatively cheap Canadian dollar right now. We have a good high gold price. I would say that we seem to have inflation and a lot of those things behind us on the capital build. So all these things are, you know, wind in our sails. All right, Derek, good to catch up with you. Thanks for doing this and uh, nice to be back in your neck of the woods. Once again, I'm sure we'll catch up here in the following weeks, if not, uh, probably at PDAC. So th have a great rest of your uh, great rest of your week. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, continuing our tour through the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference, uh, happy to welcome in Graham Downs, CEO of ATAC Resources. ATAC Resources 
do trade on the Venture Exchange with ATC and on the OTCQB with ATADF. Uh, they are working not only in Yukon, but also in British Columbia and Nevada. Uh, Graham, welcome back to Mining Stock Daily. Thanks. It's great to be here. Great to chat again with you. I, you know, I, I think we should just kind of talk about a little bit of a, it appears to be a little bit of a transformation of ATAC resources. And this isn't the first transformation you and the company have been through throughout your tenure uh, at the helm. Uh, but talk about uh, moving focus away a little bit from Yukon and also hitting other jurisdictions such as BC and Nevada. And really, what is the focus of the company for 2023? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, you know, a lot of your, your listeners will know us uh, primarily for the Rack the Gold project, and uh, it's still an amazing project. Um, yeah, and like you said, we've pivoted a little bit over the last couple of years to, uh, you know, get ahead of this push for copper. So we've picked up some copper projects in western Yukon, central Yukon, and an amazing pro project down in the Tutagon in British Columbia. Um, we also... Uh, like to work in Nevada. We're actually currently looking for another project in Nevada. So that's always ongoing. So um, yeah, the Rack the Gold project is, is kind of our flagship, but we definitely have some exciting copper projects. So are you planning on more work at Rackla this summer? No, at right now, I don't think so. I think we were so excited about a, a project called the Catch Project, which is just southeast of CarMax. Um, we're looking for different ways to uh, fund and advance the Rack the Gold project. It's a little, it's a little bit further out, so uh, we, we don't want to uh, take on the dilution to, to do the programs out there right now, but we're uh, talking to other groups to maybe advance that in a different way, maybe a joint venture uh, or maybe a financing or, or get them to fund into it. All right, so tell me about Catch. What do you, what do you see in a Catch that's got your interest here? Well, I think, you know, I've said this a couple times over the last week here at Roundup and BRIC is that um, out of my 25 years working up in the Yukon, I've never seen so much copper mineralization at surface on a project. And what's exciting about the Catch project is that uh, it's an area in an area that nobody's ever really looked for copper or gold uh, before. It's very, very underexplored. A young prospector went down there in a, on a uh, Yukon government program where they give a little bit of money to, to look at new ideas and just found all of this copper mineralization. He had worked for us uh, years ago, so brought it to us, and we said, wow, this is amazing. Uh, we optioned it off of him, went out there, and, and like I said, there's just uh, amazing uh, copper mineralization over like a, a kilometer by a kilometer, and a couple of kilometers away, we're finding even more copper. So yeah, it's just exciting, it's fun. Have you been able to put a drill on there? Or what, 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 what's happened in the past year, and how does that kind of set the stage for 2023? So we did a lot of prospecting, trenching uh, in 2022, We've, and then because of how excited we were about what we were finding, we um, we did a brought in a fly uh, RC rig. Unfortunately, the ground conditions were so bad out there for that drill, uh, we kind of pulled it off just because of the, the ground conditions were bad and we weren't getting to depth. So um, that was, we're going to go back in this year. Bottom line, we're going back in there, we're going to drill two to five deep diamond drill holes and really figure out what's going on. What, what we found, and your listeners maybe go to our website and take a look at that catch project, you'll see an incredible soil surface anomaly that's um, combined with the IP chargeability anomaly, and uh, it's, it's definitely worthwhile to keep an eye on that, so we're very excited. Well, I just happened to have your corporate presentation in front of me. Uh, you got a little small image here on the first page of the catch, uh, little segment of the presentation mm -hmm. of uh, a, a little hand pit that's got <laughs> a lot of beautiful rock in there. I mean, when you see that kind of turquoise bluish color, 
looks like something special could be happening. Is this the type, so this is kind of what you're seeing there at surface? Well, yeah, it's, it's uh, what's nice about it is that we're, we're seeing it at surface. It's a wide area um, in bedrock and subcrop, which just means it's very, very close to being in place. Um, yeah, I mean, we've just never seen something like this before. So this is what looks to be a porphyry target. What's nice with the indications that we're getting here is that we're still up in the higher parts of the system so that the, the main, if there's a deposit there, is going to be preserved. That's always one of the issues with these porphyries. You never know where you are. I mean, it's early days, but we're seeing all the right things, which is the, the, the most important thing. You talked to uh, five, six uh, deep diamond drill holes for this year. Uh, obviously not cheap. You know, how are you set up uh, to, to fund this program? How deep are you going to go? You know, what does that look like? Yeah, we've got about four and a half million, and uh, so we're fully funded for the for the program. Uh, we're also going to work down in Pill in BC. So, uh, I mean, your listeners take a look at, at where we're going to be drilling. It's good, probably five three hundred meter holes. So those are nice, real deep holes to test that uh, very large IP chargeability anomaly. It's going to be exciting. All right. How about Nevada? What's happening in Nevada? Down in the desert, a little bit different down there. Yeah, like I said, you know, we're still looking. It's it, it's a great place to work. The uh, infrastructure there is incredible. Um, we're having a, have a number of opportunities uh, coming our way, so we'll keep keep looking at those. And uh, when we see one that we like, we'll we'll pick it up. If you're going to pick up a new project, it seems like you better do it quickly because if this market continues the way it has, those projects are going to get a little bit more expensive. I mean, do you feel a sense of urgency if you want to put another project specifically in Nevada uh, on the books that this is something you need to get done sooner rather than later? I think, you know, we're so happy with the copper projects that we have and, and, our, and our foundational uh, Rackley Gold project that um, we're comfortable with those, but we always want to keep an eye out for other projects as they come up. Like, just like this catch property that came us. We see a lot of them, and then it's just, it takes a lot of effort to, to do that evaluation and, uh, and sometimes there's going to be a, a gem out there that you have to get. So we're not in, in, a, in a panic to get one down in Nevada, but we always have to keep our eyes open and, and look for great opportunities, kind of like the catch. Graham, thanks so much for your time. Is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't that you want to make sure people are keeping aware of here regarding ATAC? No, I think, you know, you, we've pretty much touched, touched on everything. Just uh, definitely take a look. I mean, our, our, uh, we, there's great valuation on our, on our uh, stock price right now, great entry point, especially with the buzz that we're seeing around here, the amount of uh, uh, interest that we've seen from other groups on these copper projects. So we have a lot of catalysts likely happening, and lots of news in 2023. All right. It's Graham Downs from ATAC Resources, and that's your corporate update from them. Uh, they do trade on the venture with the symbol ATC. Uh, walking the floor of the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. Happy to stumble upon an old friend of the podcast, Mr. Sean Kuhn-Kuhn. He's the CEO of Dolly Varden Silver. They trade on the Venture Exchange with DV. Uh, Sean, let's cut to the chase. You put out a news, re news release this morning with more uh, drill results out from the Homestake uh, deposit there in the Golden Triangle within the Homestake Ridge property. It's kind of joking with you. You're a little bit of grade in there. Just, just a little bit. Uh, first of all, Trevor, thanks for having me on. Uh, grateful for the opportunity. But, you know, this is, a, this is a property where you've had multiple events. Like, you've got these breaches that are bringing grade up into the system. So you might get, like, a concentration of 10-gram gold. But what I've learned is then what happens is you get 
like a re-brecciated breccia, so another pulse. And so we, we put out a kilo of gold. And uh, it's not uncommon at Homestake to have 100, 100 gram gold material. And that's what we're seeing in today's news. So you, you're, you know, historically, Dolly Varden's been silver company, but you've been hitting a lot of, you know, obviously gold as well. I mean, is it time to maybe reconsider Dolly Varden as a general precious metals explorer rather than just kind of being cornered into the silver market? That's a really good question. So right now, based on our resource, it's 50-50. It's 50% silver, 50% gold. Um, but the way these systems work, if you look at SK Creek or Premier, they start as really spectacular silver deposits, but there's a source that's feeding that endowment, and typically what ends up happening as the project evolves, it becomes a very, very, very large gold system. Sometimes it becomes a very, very large copper gold system. Um, at this point, we're 50-50, uh, and you know, I, I see it as uh, a precious metals company right now. Okay, fair enough. Let's talk about Homestake. You know, give us a, a reintroduction to Homestake, how you came on to this project, what the historical work on the project's done, and what you and Dolly Varden are doing differently here to really get it back into the market and present something powerful. Yeah, good question. So you had Dolly, which is the silver-rich um, endowment to the south in all categories, about 44 million ounces. And then just, just to the north, a few kilometers to the north, you've got this gold-dominated system where it's about a million ounces of gold, just under 20 million ounces of silver. Now, the knock-on homestake was the bulk of the deposit is in the inferred category. And what the drilling we've done this year in the inaugural year for Dolly Varden is we have got a lot of confidence in continuity and grade. Um, and then the other part of it is something that probably got lost on today's news release. There was a big 200 meter step out hit at Homestake Silver. So there's a lot of silver growth up in the north. And then you've got... The, you know some some you know uh, material that is reminding our technical team of an SK like system or a premier like system and there's just you know it's it's early days um, we've got a tremendous endowment and again both these projects in in and of their own selves um, it was questionable whether it was economic but by bringing them together we've got the scale we've got the grade um, so yeah tell me about this 200 meter step out a little bit more. I, I missed that one. Yeah, yeah. So the 200-meter step out, it's funny because last year we were celebrating a 94-meter step out at Wolf. And, and what's happened this year is it's been probably the strongest component of our discovery story, all these big numbers at Wolf. And so to get a 200-meter plus kilo hit at Homestake, it's more about what we're going to be able to do with that going into 2023. And I should let everybody know, we've got more results coming from our 2022 program, specifically at Wolf. So a lot of silver numbers, watch out for those. And, uh, and we're, you know, we've got 28 million in the bank. We're in a good place, stocks trading well. And, uh, you know, just excited to get back out there and drill. Do you start infilling? from that 200 meters or maybe step out more and really test the extent of the system? That's a really good question. My goal right now is I want to leverage this treasury and see how big the system is and we can come back and we can infill it in the future. Um, but at this point, I just, I want to chase it, you know, chase the plunge and just see how big it is. Let's talk about the market. I mean, you're no stranger to the market. This seems a lot different 
more energy than we've seen in the last couple of years, probably since early 2020. Um, you know, what's your, what, what do you sense the mood is? There's a lot of, there's a lot of retail here, a lot of funds, um, but it still kind of sense how we stop trading amongst ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, so listen, I've been doing conferences for 20 years. Starting about three years ago, I saw something really subtle, which was there's the new institutions that picked up, so the early adopters, the really smart money, and I think where they all got validated was the move from September to December, January here. Um, so we've had silver and gold move up quite nicely. We've had some of the equities move. So I was shocked. I was at the Metals Investor Forum. I think we ran into each other. Was it Roundup or MIF as well? It was at Roundup. Okay, but I was at MIF on Friday, their retail was there. It almost made me feel like it was 2010 oh, when yeah. you had the, yeah, it was, I couldn't believe, like we, they, were, they had a big venue, it was like standing room only, and uh, it's a really, really, really good sign. Now having said that, the Venture Exchange is still trading, I haven't looked today, but below where it got hit down to during the great financial crisis. So there's still a tremendous amount of upside from here. Yeah, it's funny. I, side story: I ran into our old buddy Mickey Fulp yesterday, and he's he loves volumes. He loves watching volumes on the venture exchange. And he's like, "Have you seen how much volume has been trading on the venture?" And I was like, "Oh, it's got to come up a little bit." He's like, "Not much at all." But yet, some of the equities are starting to see moves. Well, yeah, no, I, I somebody brought that to my attention too. Like record low volumes, um, you know, at least in December. So yeah, no, it's we still are trading amongst each other and ourselves but I, I would think that if we can get back-to-back -back quarters we had Q4 which was spectacular for the metals if we can get another quarter like that I think you know and 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 having said all that you've got where else are investors making any money you had the big exchanges in the US that were down so portfolio managers um, you know money managers are going to be looking for areas that can grow and, and thankfully we're coming off the bottom here. We're coming. We're going from the sub basement to the basement. We've got a lot of upside to go. All right. Uh, I actually finally get to go home tomorrow, so I probably won't see you until uh, PDAC conference in Toronto. But give us a sense of what news do you expect uh, to be releasing from Dolly Varden in the next month? Um, good question. So I'm expecting some results around Torbrit, and I'm expecting some results around Wolf. Um, and, uh, you know, listen, this year has exceeded my expectations. So I'm, I'm really, really excited about getting all that information out. And then it's the planning of the next program. So we'll, we'll get out some news before PDAC. All right. Sean, thanks so much for your time. Good to see you, my friend. You too. Thanks, tr thanks Trevor. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.